I'm Liz, your host and the wife and mom behind Unedited Motherhood. Together, we'll talk about all the struggles that we face as adults. Nothing is off limits. We'll uncover important truths and maybe even learn some tips to make our lives a little simpler and a lot more enjoyable. Thanks for joining me. Hi guys, happy Tuesday. I hope you're having a great week. Um, First of all, I just want to thank you guys so much for listening to the Unedited Motherhood podcast. Um, This has been something that I've been working really hard on and I'm super excited about and I'm just really glad that you're here with me to share this adventure. And I can't wait to make lots of memories with you guys. So that brings us to today. And today we're going to be talking about um, how to find your perfect eating plan or eating regimen. Um, Last week we talked about fad diets. This week I'm going to share a little bit about my personal journey um, with food, my relationship with food and how that has evolved over the last several years. And I'm hoping that if you're in a place where you are not, um, you know, you haven't super figured out how your body feels best when you eat, Or if you're looking to kind of switch things up and you want to find the right groove, I'm hoping that maybe some things that I share with you today will help you get there. So let's get started. I'm going to begin by just going through in chronological order just the path of changes that we've made so you can see that this I did not get to you know, the place where I'm at now overnight, not even in a year or two years. Um, This all started back in 2013. So, you know, almost eight years ago um, is when I first started thinking about what I was eating and started to make changes, whether they were intentional or whether it was I was presented with a situation we had to make a choice. Um, You know, it's taken several years to get there. So back in 2013, I started dating my husband and he was gluten-free. He wasn't 100% gluten-free, but he had gotten to a point where he realized that he felt better when he avoided gluten. He remembered having, you know, stomach pains, you know, all the way back to like elementary school, waiting for the bus stop after he ate breakfast in the morning. So he finally got into a place where he recognized that gluten was bothering him and he um, was eating gluten-free as much as he could, as much as it was convenient for him. He was in college and, um, he was working also. So, you know, being a guy, they don't cook a lot. So he would still have gluten here and there when it was inconvenient for him to eat gluten-free, but for the most part he did. So me being a, you know, 20, 21 year old that couldn't make anything past boxed macaroni, um, I had a lot of learning to do. Um, not only cooking in general, but then cooking for a, you know, special dietary need. So fast forward a year, um, I became dairy intolerant like overnight. So that was another like rocked our world situation. Um, there was a lot of learning that went into that because that was totally new for both of us. And it wasn't for probably another year or two before we really started taking a closer look to what was in our food. We knew to look at ingredient labels for like a dairy or a gluten allergen, but we still, you know, if it said dairy free or gluten free and we still cheated on dairy because it wasn't like a severe allergy, but 
if it had those, you know, labels on it, then we, you know, we bought it, we consumed it without thinking twice. So like I said, it was a couple years later in 2016 when I first came across the EWG's Dirty Dozen list of the um, 12 most heavily pesticide-ridden produce items. And I started to kind of think maybe that's something that I should be looking into. So as a budget shopper, I was like, oh no, that's too expensive. I'm not getting it organic. But I tried using the Dirty Dozen as a guideline for, you know, foods that I should try to buy organic. And then that carried me for a little while. I still was hesitant. If I saw something that was organic and it was like the same price as the non-organic, then I'd be like, oh, what the heck, you know, and I'd get the organic version. But other than that, I was not about to start like pulling wads of cash out of my pocket to buy everything organic because it is expensive as those of you who eat organic know. So flash forward a little bit more to July of 2017. This was about five months postpartum for my first child. And I started having severe digestive issues and the only thing I could think of was I had chocolate cake. And then a couple of days later I had these issues again and I was like, well, I didn't have chocolate cake, but what did I have both times? And it was chicken. And I thought, well, that's weird. Um, so I, I think I tried like organic chicken. I tried store-bought chicken. I tried pre-cooked chicken. I tried all different kinds of chicken and without fail, I was still having this issue. So I cut chicken out. Then Uh, You know, the next time I had other kinds of meat, I noticed that it wasn't just chicken, but beef, pork, and I don't know about fish because we didn't really eat a lot of fish at the time, but beef and pork were also giving me these issues. So I got to a breaking point where I was like, what do I do? You know, I was like on Google trying to figure out, (laughs) you know, why can I not digest protein? And it's like, oh, maybe my HCL is low. Um, so I started reaching out, um, on Instagram to different health accounts and that leads me to beginning of 2018 where I, through all of that research, I found the Whole30 community and I completed my first Whole30 in January of 2018. And then later in February, I believe I found a dietitian who also did like functional approaches with different, you know, gut and hormone tests And I had some work done on my system and, um, I did a stool test, a hormone test. I had a SIBO test done. Um, I also had blood work drawn around the same time and I was trying to get to the bottom of, you know, why can I not eat meat? Um, what is going on? I tried home remedies like drinking apple cider vinegar before each meal and, um, you know, tried maybe a couple supplements that also helped you break down protein and increased your gut acid, but I still was just having these issues. So, um, switched to a primarily organic diet there in 2018. And from that point on, um, we paid a lot more attention to what was in our food. Um, not just gluten or dairy or soy or, you know, other big allergen words, but some of those tricky, hard to pronounce foods. I'm doing air quotes for foods because they're not always food and items that are in our food. Um, but I started really looking at that. And in addition to organic, I was, you know, rigorously reading labels to minimize the amount of, um, 
potentially harmful ingredients that are in our food. So after I did my Whole30 in earlier 2018, I tried to adapt more of a paleo approach. Guys, that's really hard. Um, even for being gluten and primarily dairy-free for years, paleo is still a lot to give up. So we've never done 100% paleo diet, and I still don't, and I, you know, I, I don't even try. That's not really my personal goal. But through all these different things that have happened over the years, Josh and I have found kind of um, a landing where we both feel our best um, with the foods that we have chosen to put in our bodies now. So now I want to back it up a little bit and talk to you guys about um, the food pyramid and um, gluten and dairy specifically, since those have been the biggest um, hurdles or kind of curveballs that were thrown my way as far as food goes. Um, so the food pyramid, surely most of you guys are familiar with it. You saw it when you were in school or in health class or whatnot. The bottom pyramid, the biggest, bulkiest portion of what we're supposed to be eating according to this pyramid are carbs. Um, one step up from that, you've got your fruits and veggies. One step up from that, you've got your animal products, so your meat and your dairy. And then the final category at the very tippity top, the smallest portion is things like sugar, uh, fats, processed food, what have you. So we talked last week about how, you know, the standard American diet is on average 50% carbs, like 15 to 20% protein, and then the fat intake was about 35%. Now, those numbers do not reflect exactly the food pyramid, but it's clear that Americans have taken this to heart, that carbohydrates should make up the majority of what we're eating in a day. Um, protein, I don't think, is in a bad place because um, I think... 15% to 16, 15 to 20%, I think that's about right. Um, the fat intake is at 35, which if they're good, healthy fats, then I think that's completely fine. If they are not, on the other hand, I think that is also contributing to the bigger issue, which is that this food pyramid is not an accurate representation of the nutrients that we need to thrive. Um, so, flip it upside down. I think veggies, I think carbs should move up to the top and everything should be shifted down one. Um, fruits and veggies produce should definitely be the largest amount of what we're taking in in a day. And then I do think protein is the next thing. And then we have, you know, sugar. I don't necessarily think sugar needs its own category, but it's in the category with fats on most of these pyramids. So I do think healthy fats definitely come before carbs. If you think about how our ancestors ate, um, they didn't have anywhere to prepare or any way to prepare the grains. So they didn't eat them for a long time. Um, so that's something new that we've introduced. And then once we introduced it, we realized it was really cheap to make 
and to fill our stomachs, we started doing that rapidly. And I think that's where a lot of people struggle with inflammation and digestive issues because they're consuming a large amount of grains that their body is having trouble digesting. So gluten specifically, um, I don't think is an issue or the largest issue with grains unless you are gluten intolerant or celiac, which obviously then you would want to avoid gluten grains, but gluten-free grains are super nutritious. Um, oats are super good for you. Whole wheat, if you're able to digest it, is great for you. Um, brown rice has a lot of nutrients in it. Quinoa, there's lots of grains that have a wide variety of nutrients and they have a great portfolio of micronutrients in them that are great for you to eat. So although I've adapted how we eat based on a paleo style diet, we are primarily a refined sugar-free household. I do keep around regular sugar just for special occasions when my husband wants me to bake something or, you know, that's pretty much it. That's pretty much all I use it for is the occasional, if he wants brownies, like, like, he's like, no, I want the good brownies. I'm like, okay, pulling out the regular sugar. But generally I've replaced my sugar intake with things like honey, maple syrup, I even use, um, I have date syrup as well, coconut sugar, uh, maple sugar, and I have date sugar as well. But between all of those, and you know, I don't use the same one for each recipe, I follow a couple paleo bloggers that have um, great recipes that kind of fluctuate and go back and forth between each one so you don't kind of get burnout on the same kind of sweetener all the time. But I have been able to completely replace sugar without missing it. And I feel awful when I eat sugar. So that's something that the whole 30 definitely helped me realize my second time around. And we'll talk a little bit about the whole 30 in a minute, but when you reintroduce those foods, you're really able to, because you completely, you know, detoxed them from your body, you're really able to see the impact that they had on your system. So We are gluten-free, we're not grain-free, but we are gluten-free, and as far as dairy goes, um, you know, this is, this is a hot-button issue, um, there's a lot of different quality levels of dairy, um, so we prefer to eat raw dairy, which is hard to find, um, raw dairy that you find at the grocery store has been pasteurized at like a really low heat level. So it doesn't destroy all of the, the enzymes and, um, nutrients in the product. Um, but Dr. Axe has a great article on his website. If you want to, you know, cross-reference that there are tons of other articles that talk about the benefits of raw dairy as well, but I'll just go over a couple Um, benefits that were listed um, in the research that I pulled together to talk to you guys about this. Um, The first one is that it helps reduce allergies. Um, Studies showed that children drinking raw milk were 50% less likely to to develop allergies and 41% less likely to develop asthma. Um, And because of the fat content and the probiotics, raw milk is actually great for your skin health as well. And now real quick, I do want to talk about the difference between dairy allergy and lactose intolerance because we as humans produce an enzyme called 
lactase, and this helps us break down the sugar in milk called lactose. So when our bodies, you know, as we age, usually in early adulthood, our bodies stop producing um, this enzyme, and then we are unable to digest dairy efficiently, and we start having these, you know, symptoms and side effects that lead to lactose intolerance. Dairy allergy is a complete different thing. That's an allergy to the protein in dairy that is pretty much irreversible. Um, But raw dairy actually contains all of the enzymes, nutrients, um, the whole portfolio of benefits that are in milk in its raw state that are destroyed during the pasteurization and homogenation process. So that's why raw dairy has so much... um, more benefits to it than conventional dairy. So although I do eat primarily dairy-free, we do include minimal amounts of raw dairy in our diet. These are still things that I can tell my gut has a little bit of trouble with if I have it in excess amounts. But as long as I keep it to a minimum and I use it more as a condiment than like a main entree, you know, I don't eat lasagna. (laughs) That's way too much dairy for me, but sometimes I'll have a couple slices of cheese with my lunch or I'll put a little slice of cheese on like a breakfast sandwich or something like that. And to each their own, you know, find a, find a healthy level for you in your house, um, in your household and stick to it. Don't let the way anybody else eats influence the way that you eat unless you feel like that really is going to be what's best for you. So that's a little bit about um, gluten and dairy. Um, Now I do want to share a little bit more about my Whole30 experience because I do think that this is something that has really challenged me in how I eat long term, which is exactly what it's meant to do. It's not meant to be a diet, like a weight loss diet or anything that you're supposed to stay on long term. Um, There are some great resources on the Whole30 website. I think it's just Whole30.com. I'll double check that and put it in my show notes, but they have tons and tons of free resources online to help get you started. Um, my first time around, I had just started having digestive issues with meat, and I don't know how, but I came across this girl's Instagram. Her name was Caroline Fausel, and her, um, what's it called? Her tag, her, her tag or her whatever handle, that's what it's called. Guys, I'm so sorry. This is embarrassing. Her handle is Olive U Hole. That's O L I V E U Hole. W H O L E. And she was a Whole30 coach. Um, and I'd never heard of the Whole30 before, but I saw on her page it said she ate paleo. And guys, I don't even know how I stumbled across this page because I really wasn't following any health food bloggers. I might have found one of her recipes on Pinterest when I was looking for something gluten free and dairy free. Um, and so that led me to her Instagram, but once I, that was like, that was the beginning of me stepping, um, into the rabbit hole. Um, I contacted her, this was before she blew up. She's super popular now and would probably never have time to do these free one-on-one consults, but I called her, she called me and we talked and I told her about what I was struggling with. And she, um, mentioned trying a whole 30 and seeing if that helped alleviate some of the issues I was having. And so like right around the corner from that, I started my first Whole30 in January, 2018. And I ordered, 
I found Thrive Market through her as well. She gave me a 25% off my first order and that was super exciting. It's basically, if you don't know what it is, thrivemarket.com is um, just a, a grocery store. They do have, um, I think, meat. You can do like a meat box through them. I think it's separate from like their shelf-stable items, but they're primarily just shelf-stable items. Um, and it's, you know, like a health food grocery store. So they do have, um, like from peanut butter and then, you know, bread, crackers, pasta, all kinds of condiments and sauces, chips, you know, you name it. They have pretty much everything. If it's not a refrigerated item, then they likely have it. And you can shop by diet type as well for paleo or keto, gluten-free, dairy-free, they even have a Whole30 category now, which is really cool. Um, so I stocked up on some things for that using Thrive Market, which I was really excited about at the time. It was it was very new. Anytime you try something new, I, I get really um, excited and amped up. So this was very exciting for me. I finished the Whole30, reintroduced foods, even though I knew I couldn't tolerate gluten and dairy. They still, unless you have like an allergy allergy, they recommend reintroducing it because sometimes your body just needs a break from all the garbage to kind of heal itself and then it will have an easier time tolerating certain things once you add them back in. So I was able to have gluten without having um, as extreme of a reaction as I normally did but I could still tell that I was fatigued and worn down so I was like okay well I can't do that you know dairy yeah, it still, you know, makes me bloaty and gassy. So I'm going to, you know, continue to avoid that. Um, so I really didn't learn much from this experience. You, you're supposed to, um, kind of keep track of what you eat in a day. And then when you reintroduce, you're supposed to keep track. But by the end of the 30 days, I was so excited to have some of my favorite things again, that I rushed through the reintroduction process. And I feel like I lost some of the benefits because of that. And also, guys, this was before I did my gut test and my hormone test and realized that my system was like totally whacked out. So while some people have like extremely incredible and life-changing results after their first Whole30, I still had a lot of work to do on my gut health um, before I was going to be able to see large improvements. So... That was January 2018, and then in the spring of 2018 is when I had all these tests done, um, and they were very extensive. It was um, quite a process. Then I, I met with the lady, and we talked for a few hours on my results. Um, I got some supplements to help me work through eliminating some things. Just to give you an example, I had um, several pathogenic pa parasites. I know this is TMI for some of you. I'm sorry. Um, I also had H. pylori. I had a couple of autoimmune triggers. Um, my beta-glucuronidase was off. I had a lot of things that were off. And maybe in another episode, we can get more into depth on that, maybe with somebody that has a little bit more experience with it than me, so we can kind of give you guys some more information on whether or not some of these tests might be right for you. But that was starting in spring of 2018, and I really worked hard for the next year, I would say, to um, restore my gut health. And I was still working through this because there was so much going on. I, I had like a seven or eight month 
program written out for these supplements to give my body, you know, I was working on one thing at a time to give my body time to kind of come back to health. And then the goal is to retest at the end of it and see an improvement in a lot of these areas. Um, well, while I was doing this supplement regimen, I got pregnant. So I had to cut out the supplements and I was doing a lot better. Um, my digestion was significantly improved and I could tell that I felt better overall, but I hadn't finished my supplement regimen. So I knew, you know, there were probably still things that I needed to work on, um, postpartum second time around. So I just had that child about a year ago now. So I still, um, been breastfeeding and, um, doing a different detox just to kind of get me back into a good place before I do some retests because I, I learned a lot during that, this hiatus of about two years where I haven't been able to take those supplements. And even though I wasn't able to take those supplements after having my child, I did do another whole 30, um, about two or three months postpartum. Um, I, for the first month after I had my son, did a lot of um, bone broth recipes and soups and warm foods. Um, I did try to stick to, I did do some organic, you know, whole grains, but I stick to primarily um, a dairy-free um, whole foods, more like a plant-based diet with, you know, grass-fed and organic animal products. And I once I finished those 30 days of really taking care of my body and letting it heal, I got a sugar dragon and I started eating sweets like nobody's business. I don't know if it was from best breastfeeding and I was just hungry all the time or what, but I'm a stay at home mom. So I'm opening the fridge like 10 times a day, just almost out of boredom sometimes, or just as a distraction. I'm like, Oh, what can I do in here? Is there anything I can eat right now? Or, you know, do I need to fix food for a child or my spouse or myself? And I just found myself reaching for sweets or baking sweets just so that I could have them to snack on throughout the week. And I was like, okay, time for me to do a Whole30 reset. Um, I knew that this sugar dragon was not going to go away. I tried to cut it out on my own. And then once I felt like I had a handle on it, I'd be like, oh, well, I can have a little bit now. And it just, I was not able to rein it in, guys. And so this is when, um, for me, I realized that a serious intervention is necessary because my husband can tell you my sugar cravings once they take hold are unstoppable. So that brings us to March or April of 2020. And this is right after COVID started. So, um, it was a good time for me to do it because I couldn't go out to eat anyway, um, because it was, you know, in the, the height of the lockdowns. So I, had a harder time in the first couple of weeks. You're really sluggish and you're detoxing sugar and some of those other um, chemicals that they add into your food. So by the second half of this, I was on fire. I was loving it. I was cooking and like I was excited to cook again and I loved the foods that I was eating. I primarily cooked recipes from the Define Dish. A lot of people ask me my favorite recipes and if you have not checked out the Define Dish, you are seriously missing out and you need to go do it like stat. We'll get to that in a little bit too. But I started on think on day 10, 
I woke up and my blood sugar was at like 45, which is really low. Um, I was nauseous. I was sweaty. I couldn't move. I felt like I was going to throw up. I had, I didn't even think I could get out of bed. So my husband has a friend that he's had for like 10 years that has diabetes and has had to check his blood sugar all the time. So he knew, you know, it, it sounded like that to him. So he got me some pineapple juice and a banana and within like 10 or 15 minutes, my blood sugar was in a normal range. Um, and I did because I was breastfeeding. Um, we did schedule a video zoom thing with my healthcare practitioner and she was like, okay, a whole 30 while you're breastfeeding is probably not the best idea. And I told her, I was like, I, I really feel like I need to do this right now. So we decided that I would reintroduce, um, like rice and oats, like some grains, some carbs basically back into my diet. So she wasn't crazy about me staying on the whole 30 just because she was worried that something like this would happen again. But I said that I would give it a couple days introducing some more grains and it ended up being fine. I ate oats, you know, every other day for breakfast and I would have rice, um, like every other day for lunch or dinner. And I, ended, that was enough to keep me going. And if I felt like I hadn't had enough carbs in a day, then I would have a carby snack before I went to bed. Um, so flash forward to after this whole 30 was over, I was really loving the results that I'd had. Um, and I followed the day by day book that they wrote for the whole 30. So it goes through, you know, preparation, it helps you grocery shop. And then it also has, um, a place for you to log your successes and what you eat every day. And it gives you like some motivation and some tips and things like that. So at the end of this 30 days, I was on fire. Um, I did the reintroduction process as it was meant to be. And for the last several months since I've done this, I have been so much more confident about what I choose to eat because of this reset. Um, I really feel like I'm in a much better place. I'm able to make a smart decision about whether or not to eat something, um, especially if it's something that I typically avoid, which is what the Whole30 was meant to do. It was meant to be a reset. It was meant to help you reestablish your yeses and your noes when it comes to choosing what you eat. And those yeses and noes then become based on how you know you're going to feel once you eat it. So it's not, oh, well, I'm paleo, so I avoid these foods, so I can't eat it. It's, I know that if I eat this food, I'm going to feel like garbage either the rest of the day or tomorrow or for the next week or for the next two months, or I'm going to be anxious or, you know, it's going to give me acne or whatever. You know, it, it really gives you the opportunity to, to learn that about different foods, um, and that's really hard to do when um, your diet includes all of those foods. So I definitely, if you're struggling with food or digestion, um, as a preliminary step, I definitely recommend trying this reset um, and seeing if it helps give you some clarity. A lot of people that I know that have done it have really enjoyed their experience with it. It sounds so daunting and overwhelming at the beginning because of all the foods that you can't have. It's a long list, guys. Um, but it is so rewarding and you learn so much about yourself and what you're capable of and self-control. And I feel like you also just learn to appreciate food. Like 
you get excited for for just good quality food. And then once you start eating the junk again, you immediately realize the effect that it has on your energy, your mental clarity. Um, so yeah, so that's the whole 30. I didn't mean to get so deep into it, but it is a big part of what's helped me establish healthy boundaries with food. Um, I do still consume you know, legumes and grains and dairy, which are all things that are avoided on not only a Whole30, but a paleo diet. And I'm okay with that. You know, I don't feel like how I eat has to fit into a perfect box. And I think that that's something that people struggle with right now. It's like they pick a, pick a label because, you know, they need things to make sense and to be concise and compartmentalized. And I don't believe that eating is meant to be that way. I think it's meant to be a fluid you know, journey, um, you know, if your gut health was 100%, you know, I do think that it would be important to consume all types of food and not exclude any one thing. Um, unfortunately, um, conventional medicine and processed foods have led our nation and world really to a place of poor gut health, uh, and poor overall health, to a place where people are having to avoid certain foods because their body is just not capable of handling all types of foods at one time. So just to recap on how Josh and I eat, um, we follow basically the only musts are organic produce, organic meat, and not just organic meat, but pastured, grass-fed, grass-finished meat, And then the dairy that we do consume is raw. And we do, if we do grains, um, they're organic. And we prefer sprouted grains because they are easier for your body to digest. You can look into that if you're curious about the difference between conventional and sprouted grains. And yeah, that's about it. I would say we eat paleo plus raw dairy plus grains you know, plus occasional alcohol or sugar. But we have a pretty good handle on when to make the exceptions and when not to. And that's the most important thing. It's not the label, but it's do you have the self-control and the ability to make decisions in the moment about what is going to be best for you to eat, not based on peer pressure or what's available, but because you're making a conscious decision that is going to affect your health and the way you feel. So guys, I hope that, um, was even just a little bit helpful for you. If you know, you're looking to make some changes in the way you eat. Um, I got a few questions, uh, when I was throwing out this idea of food, um, to my listeners at the beginning So I wanted to just address real quickly these things and then I'll let you go because I know I'm getting a little lengthy here. Um, How do you eat organic on a budget was one of the questions I got, which is a question that I actually get pretty often. And you have to decide, in short, you have to decide what's the most important when you're 
setting your food budget. Um, one thing is that I just, I try to have a really strict and comprehensive food, you know, spending budget for the month. And then I break it down by week if possible. And I designate this much money is for this, this much money is for that. And it really helps you to make in the moment decisions when you're at the grocery store. Um, because it can be really easy and it is really easy and we overspend on groceries more than we overspend on any other thing because of this. But the more you start eating gluten-free, dairy-free, organic, you know, the price of the item just goes up, 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 up. And some of the things that you pay top dollar for at the store, you can make at home. So one of my tips for eating organic on a budget is to do without when it's not completely necessary. Um, for example, you, you have a food budget of, you know, 500 for the month or 600 for the month or whatever it is. And buying everything organic is just not an option. Um, stick with the most important things. So I would say the dirty dozen produce items, I would try to buy those organic and then utilize that clean 15, um, that is kind of the other half of the dirty dozen to know what produce items are okay to not buy organic. And if it's not necessary to buy it organic, then don't spend the extra money on it. I also would prioritize organic and pastured grass fed animal products as well. Those are extremely important to your health. So I would definitely take care into putting that at the top of your priority list. And then from there on out, everything else, um, you just have to you know, do piecemeal, you know, make adjustments where you can like organic mayonnaise or, you know, mayonnaise that's made from avocado oil as opposed to like soybean or canola oil. Um, you can make that at home super, super easy with a food processor or an immersion blender. It takes 30 seconds. One of the cookbooks I have says 30 Mississippi mayonnaise because you just count to 30 Mississippi style. Um, and that saves a lot of money. Um, ghee, if you're doing you know, ghee instead of butter to avoid dairy. You can make your own ghee. I've made it a handful of times. Super easy to do and much cheaper than buying ghee already prepared. Same with, you know, some other things that you'll find. Um, the the fancy version already prepared for you. But if it's something that you can do at home, um, then I would definitely recommend starting out. And sometimes it is a little bit of a time commitment or it's a learning curve. Like mayonnaise is not, it take, like I said, it takes 30 seconds, but you know, if you don't know how to do it, it can be a little daunting to get started. So really it's just, you know, pushing up your sleeves and, and getting into it. If it's something that's important to you enough to try. The next question is my go-to recipes. So I will link some of my favorite bloggers down in the show notes. Um, my absolute favorite and my my number one go-to on a weekly basis is the Define Dish. She is incredible. A lot of health food recipe bloggers, um, the recipes are either lengthy or they take too long or they have obscure ingredients and they're just not sustainable on a daily basis. The Define Dish is so incredible. Her recipes are super easy to make. I almost always have all the ingredients on hand. They require very little hands-on time 
and they're always delicious. I have bought her cookbook for a handful of people in my life, none of whom eat a paleo or organic lifestyle. And they love these recipes. They're always a hit when I take them to somebody's house. I mean, they're just good, 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 good. If you need somebody, you're like, I just need one person to get my foot in the door. The Define Dish is hands down who I would recommend. Um, the next one, I kind of have a couple different go-tos. So my next go-to for anything meat-related is Primal Gourmet. His name's Ronnie, and he is just incredible. He's Canadian, and he loves to prepare meat, and he has you know, these different sauces and marinades and spice blends that just take everything up a notch. And he, I will say uses some random obscure ingredients sometimes or spices that I either don't feel like driving around looking for or can't find, or it's like, I'm not going to buy that to only use it once or twice, but usually I can just omit it or substitute it and I don't have any problems, but his food is always incredible. My husband loves his recipes for, um, lamb, his different methods for steak. And also he has incredible, um, different ethnic food recipes. He is part Romanian, I think. Uh, I'm going to mess this up, but his wife is Romanian and something else. And then he's part two things as well. I always get it wrong, but he used to spend a lot of time in Miami. I think his grandparents lived there. And so he makes some mean Cuban food, but he has influences from all around the world and he has nailed replicating incredible dishes. Also, if you want fried fish, he, his cookbook has the best grain-free, dairy-free fried fish um, recipe. It also includes a coleslaw recipe, the batter recipe, tartar sauce, delicious homemade fries to go with it. I mean, he's, he's also super incredible. I actually do um, pretty extensive meal planning, which is going to be my next episode. So next week, if you want to start meal planning or you want to um, see what that's like, I'm going to get really in depth with that. But Ronnie and Alex, who is the defined dish, those are my two top, you know, if you look through my meal planning template, those two, their recipes just appear over and over and over. The Paleo Running Mama is also... Um, One of my go-tos, most of the bloggers and recipe books that I follow are uh, paleo, but um, they all have tweaks where you can add dairy, you can add um, grains, and you don't have to make them paleo. My mom calls me all the time with the Defined Dishes cookbook, and she's like, hey, this says almond flour. Can I just use regular flour? Absolutely. Not all of them are a one-to-one substitute, but you can find out pretty quickly with Googling um, how to convert if you're going to be using a different flour or if you're going to use real dairy instead of ghee or coconut oil. So those would be my go-to recipe bloggers. Um, I am going to, I write blog posts that correspond to each of these episodes. So I might give some plugs to some of my favorite recipes by these bloggers. um, So you can see what we cook in the Simpson household on repeat or in a pinch. And then the last question I got was healthy snack ideas and bonus points if they're easy. So I personally love hummus. Um, 
my daughter and my son both love hummus as well and my husband likes it so that is something that is super easy that we keep around Um, I try to switch it up by getting like the garlic lemon roasted red pepper Um, this is another cheat for if you're doing on a budget make your own hummus you can get a can of chickpeas for you know a dollar dollar fifty something like that and blend it up with a little bit of salt garlic you know whatever else lemon juice and have a larger batch of hummus than you'd pay five bucks for at the store if you're buying organic so hummus can go great with a lot of things Um, if you're trying to do low carb then you can skip the pita chips or the corn chips and get vegetables Um, great with celery cucumber carrots any kind of vegetable Um, i'm also a big fan of charcuterie style meals and snacks so i'll fill a plate with some raw cheese some hummus some veggies some fruit some kalamata olives or some green stuffed olives Uh, my husband will throw on crackers we like to put grapes with this sometimes i'll do an organic chicken sausage if i have it on hand and my daughter will eat the same plate full of food she's four and for my one-year-old i cut the olives up real small for him and i give him hummus and he'll he'll eat some of the raw cheese as well so these snacks are great for the whole family Um, Usually there's a a parent version and then my four-year-old, I sometimes I cut it up or I prepare it a little bit differently for her and then my one-year-old obviously gets a modified version of it as well. And then other healthy snack ideas, um, we love almond butter around here so we do a lot of apples or bananas with almond butter. There's actually, I think the the fine dish started this, she gets, um, you can use whatever kind of tortillas you want. I think she generally just does it with regular flour tortillas because although she is paleo blogger she does not eat strictly paleo either and she talks a lot about that which I like but she gets like a tortilla and then smothers it with almond butter and then slices a banana up or rolls a banana up in it and then slices it into little pieces and she calls it like banana sushi and that's a great idea really you can make a snack out of a lot of different things I do try to keep some sort of paleo or refined sugar free anyway that's the biggest thing for me I do use a lot of paleo recipes but the biggest thing for me when I'm making baked goods for my kids is that they are free of refined sugar because I know what a negative effect it has on me and I don't want it having that same effect on my kids so I try to keep like muffins or some sort of banana bread or something like that around for a little bit more of a sweet treat throughout the day Last suggestion that I'll give to you is dried fruit and nuts. Um, The nuts part may be harder for littler kids, but my four-year-old, I'm saying my four-year-old, she'll be four in just a couple weeks. By the time this airs, she'll already be four. (sighs) But she's actually three, and she's been eating these snacks for probably a year. Um, She loves dried fruit and nuts. So I'll give her either cashews, almonds, um, pecans, I think she's even done like walnuts. She likes macadamia nuts. She likes pistachios and she loves dried fruit. So dried mango, apple chips, dates, figs. She even likes goji berries and what are the little bumpy ones? Mulberries. She loves fruit. So I'll give her like some dried fruit and some nuts and let her snack on that. She likes raisins and cranberries too. Um, so I just, you know, give her a little snack bowl of that 
usually after quiet time in the early afternoon when she needs a little boost to get through the rest of the day. So I hope that helps. I hope that gives you some inspiration at least. And stay tuned. Next week, we're going to talk about meal planning. You'll have to make sure you have a cup of coffee with you to keep up because I do have a pretty extensive list and I'm working on um, a PDF download for you guys that you can kind of see a graphic of how I meal plan too. And then I'll share my personal meal planning template as well. So you can use that as a reference. But I'm really excited, guys. This is going to be a game changer for you if you get stuck in food ruts and you find yourself at 3 or 4 o'clock saying, what are we going to have for dinner? Or you're sick of preparing the same foods all the time. I hope that today helped you maybe define and do a little bit of homework into what kind of meal plan you want to follow or at least gives you a place to start looking into that. And then... Work on compiling some recipes over this next week for things that you want to put into your food plan and your meal planning template next week, and we will dig in. So I hope you guys have a great week and are having a happy new year. Talk to you later.